I'm Betty. And I'm Pam. God, when you say peace, what exactly are you referring to? Have you ever tried to find a parking spot? Do you know how hard it is to find this year's most wanted toy? I can't find peace, God. I don't know some of the names on the Christmas cards. I don't think anyone's going to be able to afford to come home this year. I'm not good at being alone. How do I quiet the voices in my head? How do I keep from losing my mind in the silence? How do I sleep in heavenly peace when I can't even sleep? How is peace even possible in a world that is tearing itself apart? God, remind me that we are all your children. Calm my stressed out soul with your peace that passes understanding. God, breathe on us here in this moment, this here and now. Help us stop fussing and fighting. We will breathe. We will remember the light in the stable. The Prince of Peace. God, you are our peace. Our peace when we put too much on our schedule. Our peace when we worry too much. Our peace during final exams. Our peace when our pie is burning. Our peace when we can't buy any gifts. Our peace when our children don't answer our calls or texts. Our peace when we dump all our problems on you. Our peace that reminds us that we are your children. Our peace to quiet all the voices in our heads. Our peace to keep from becoming unglued in the silence. You are our peace on earth. Our mercy mild, Christ born so we may be reconciled. You bring peace to all nations. We join with angels to proclaim. Christ, Christ is, is born. born. Glory, Glory to God. God. Peace on make sure you get receded. All right, sorry, I'm going to put my mind fully here now, and we're going to be together on this journey. Um, okay, Advent is the season of preparation. That's why it was put into the church calendar, and we celebrate, and we're getting ready to celebrate. We prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus. That's what we do, and so we light candles as symbols to count us down to the end, and when all the candles are lit, we get to the end where we say this is the day that we celebrate that Jesus was here. And so in this uh, season, we're all about preparing. And we don't call it Advent outside the church. And a lot of churches don't call it Advent either. But when you're in our culture, they all tell us you've got to get ready, right? You've got to prepare. And so they're telling you that it's time for you to decorate your house because that's what you got to do. And they're telling you to get ready to prepare your table with a lot of food, fancy food, food that you wouldn't eat most other times. And they also tell you to prepare for your wallet to be emptied, right? Get rid of all that filthy money that you've been building up over time and spend it on gifts that you need to buy so that people know that you love them. Without the gift, they'll have no way of knowing. And so that's what they tell us. Um, and and we, we get used to that level of preparation. But Advent counters that by saying, prepare yourself. And it, it's something that we gloss over so much at the time. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind to receive the gift of grace from God that is Jesus Christ, his son. And if you've never entered, you, you never entered Advent if you don't leave it humbled, somehow silenced by the sense of wonder of a God who would stoop so low and become so little, all so that he could lift us up. We prepare ourselves by reflecting on our need for a Savior still. We're not done. And to help us with that, we've been doing this countdown. 
you might not have thought of it like this way, but this is the way I'm thinking of it. We're in week five right now of our series, Right in the Eye. Next week is the exciting conclusion to the series, and we're going to be looking at how Ruthie and Bo save Christmas. That's our topic for next week. But for today, I want to get you started with another question. And I know that we've had a couple questions in the last couple of weeks, and I know you love them. You love these questions, but honestly, today the question is a lot easier than it was in the last couple of weeks. Those questions were challenging. This one, a little easier. Here's our question for this week. What kind of person do you want to be? We don't normally think about this. We just, you know, kind of want to be good, kind of move along for the most part. We don't want to spend large amounts of time considering this because we've got other things to do. But when your friends are talking about you behind your back, because they do, uh, when your friends and family talk about you once you've left the table and you're driving home, what do you want them to say? What kind of person do you want to be? Now, you don't have control over what happens to you. We all know this. Life happens. Sometimes life just, just falls on us. But you don't have control over what happens to you, but you do have control over how you respond to what happens to you. Those responses, those are the things that determine the kind of person that you are. Not that you will be, but that you are. So knowing that, knowing that your responses to what happens shapes who you are, what kind of person do you want to be? What if you decided, and this will feel weird, but what if you decided to be an extraordinary person? Now when I say an extraordinary person, I don't mean extraordinary at something. We all know somebody who's extraordinary at something. Um, but, but we wouldn't say that those are extraordinary people. We would just say that they're extraordinary at something. And the problem is that someone who's really, really good at something, quite often, not always, but quite often, they know that they're really, really good at something. And then we know that they know, and it makes us feel uncomfortable. And we don't like to be around those people because they're just not nice to be around. So they're great at something, but they're not extraordinary people. What if you just decided today, I am going to be going forward an extraordinary person? You can decide to be extraordinary. You can decide to be an extraordinary employee. You can decide to be an extraordinary boss, a husband, a wife, an extraordinary son or daughter, an extraordinary friend, an extraordinary person. What if you decided that whatever role that you have in life, you are just going to be in that role extraordinary? You can do it. You can make that kind of a choice. What if you decided, because the whole life is a little bit too hard, what if you decided just for one week, just try it out for one week? What if for one week, every single decision, every time you were tempted, every time you pull your credit card out, every time you pull out your checkbook, every time you pull out your debit card, every time you're asked to do something, what if at every single juncture, you were asked and you would ask yourself this question, what would an extraordinary person do? There's a really uh, challenging question, and, and it becomes challenging when you take it out of theory and you put it into close relationships like parenting, okay? Try it this week. And if you're not a parent, you know you have a close relationship somewhere where, they, where there's grinding, all right? And when those moments come up, you know, the challenging kind of moments, stop. Watch yourself. Listen to yourself and process these thoughts. 
It's really hard to slow it down, so you might have to do some of it at the beginning afterwards. But then get better at stopping in the middle and say, consider, is what I'm about to do what an extraordinary person would do? And in those moments, it can become super clear. An extraordinary person would not do what I'm just about to do. I don't know exactly what they would do, but I know that it would not be this. Well, then catch yourself in those moments. If you do, you give yourself the opportunity to be an extraordinary person. Then interruption might really become opportunity again for you. Imagine what it would, might look like. Imagine what it would look like if you asked the question, what you would look like if you asked the question at every juncture this week, what would an extraordinary person do? Next question. How many times do you get to live your life? Now, if you believe in reincarnation, this is really important for you um, because if what you do now determines what you come back as, you want to get on top of that. You don't want to get caught behind that. But if you believe that you only live once, you only have one life, you really need to get on the ball before this life passes you by. And if you only get one shot, only one chance to live this life, why not be extraordinary? Now, if you think that this is, wow, this is kind of not the, the, the way I was expecting church to go this morning. This is all just kind of hype, and this is the power of positive thinking, and you, and you don't really want to take this seriously, then think about it this way. What if your son or your daughter, your best friend or your boss or a handful of your employees or your mom or your dad, what if they were here or what if they were getting this message right now with us today or they listen to the podcast later and, and what if they were um, in for part of this and after the service, you guys kind of get together and you're talking, would you honestly come up to them and say, hey, I know that you were getting that same message that I was getting today and that thing about being extraordinary. Can you please just, you know, go ahead and ignore that? Um, I don't really expect you to be extraordinary. D don't bother with it. Um, don't, don't go getting all extraordinary on the rest of us. W would you walk up to your son or your daughter and say, now I know you were in church today, and I know that we were getting the same message, and even we weren't sitting together, whatever. You heard that message, and I, I don't want you to listen to that pastor guy. I don't want that. I didn't raise you to be extraordinary. I don't want you getting caught up in this extraordinary stuff. You turn to your spouse and say, honey, I married you because you weren't extraordinary. So don't go changing things around here on me. Wouldn't it be amazing if you, everyone you interacted with, everyone that you sort of rub shoulders with, everyone you work with and you work for, everybody in your same household, imagine for just one week that everybody you interacted with decided that this week, every time I get a chance, I'm going to ask the question, what would an extraordinary person do? Wouldn't that be amazing? And you're all saying, well, of course it would be amazing, and it's totally unrealistic. It'll never, ever happen. But you only get to live this life once. So, YOLO. <laughs> Why not be extraordinary? But if you're a person who takes Jesus seriously, and you believe in a personal God, and you believe that there's a personal plan that God has for you in your life, and that God knows your name and he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus into this world to die, to pay for your sin. And he wants to have a relationship with you. Not you as a group, but you, just you. You specifically you. And God started uh, something in you. And what God starts, he has promised that he will always finish. 
history is actually going somewhere. You believe that you're accountable for what you do when you're on earth. You believe that at some point you're going to have to provide an account of your time on this planet. We believe that time is finite, and so every second does matter. You believe that every single person you've ever come across has been made in the image of God. And because of that, each and everyone has incredible value. Not, not because they've earned it, because of what God has already given to them. And so they deserve to be treated in an extraordinary manner. Not because they look good. Not because you like them, but because that's the way that God sees them. Have you been letting some days slip by? Well, we can change that. You can wake up in the morning and you can say, I know how I normally parent. I know how I normally respond. I know how I normally deal with money. I know how I normally respond to temptation. But what would an extraordinary version of me do? What would I do if I embraced and remembered that God is God and that I have been invited into partnership in the story of God for this small moment in history? And I can decide to honor God with my life and with my body and with my time and my treasure and my talent. Now, that, that sense of tension that we have right there between where I am currently and where I am called to be, well, that's the same sort of tension that we have been finding again and again in the book of Judges. The nation of Israel was supposed to be different. God wants to bless Israel so much that the people around them would look around and they'd say, wow, who's your God? We want your God to be our God. Everywhere you go, things go for you. It looks like your God can beat up my God. It looks that you're getting blessed and things keep going well for you. How is it that this keeps happening? What's up with you guys? And the nation of Israel was supposed to say, well, our God is the one true living God. And so the nation of Israel was supposed to reflect and display the glory of God. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. By living differently under God's law, they would help to, for people to see the differences and to recognize that God is overall. And then the people would say, I want to be part of what's going on there. That central part of choosing Israel was to display God and God's glory to the people near them and far from them. They had a destiny. God was involved and his spirit would inhabit this nation. But we get through Moses, gets them out of Egypt. We get uh, Joshua, gets them into the promised land, gets them sort of set up there. But when they get into the promised land, when they get into the holy land, things didn't go exactly <laughs> the way that they were supposed to go. Um, they did exactly what most of us do. Instead of being eyes up, focusing on Jesus and focusing on God and making my decisions in that way, they started looking around. And they said, I, I want some of that. Ooh, I want one of those. Ooh, why don't I ever get to try that? But God is saying, no, 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 no. If you do that, you are going to dilute your influence. You're going to confuse and discourage yourselves. You're going to be distracted from relating with me. And when you do that, you're going to become just 
like all the nations around you who are not experiencing my blessing. The nation of Israel said, all right, fine. See ya. Don't want to be like ya. We want to be like them. We want to do what they're doing. And so they started worshiping idols. They started pulling in all of the Canaanite religion and, and making it their own. They started following pagan gods. And every time they disobeyed God, after a time, God would discipline them. Their choice to reject God brought about a disaster as they started getting what they thought that they wanted. And then they realized that it was instead a prison and that it was painful. It hurt and it removed their freedom. So then they would cry out to God and after a time he would hear them and he would deliver them. And then after that, the cycle would repeat and we'd go back and we would get the same thing again and again. It happens again and again throughout the book of Judges. And as we've been going throughout this series, we've been looking at this as the dark underbelly of the North American dream. That dream that says, I demand the freedom to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, whenever I want, as long as I don't hurt anybody. And in following that dream, we live out these cautionary warnings that we've been seeing again and again. We live out that same cycle that the nation of Israel has lived out, where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And throughout this sort of 300-year history, God raised up judges to lead the people. And that's why the book is called Judges. The book covers the stories of about 12 judges, and we're going to look at another one today. His name, um, we're going to look at the, take a peek at Gideon. Last week, we looked at Samson, famous guy, really strong, not a really great judge. All right, but Gideon has a great story, one of my favorite stories. You need to read it or read it again if you've already read it. I've always liked it. Gideon believed in God, and he believed, sort of like, he's like one of us. But he allowed himself to be an ordinary person. He began to believe about himself and began to believe about his world what himself and his world told him about himself and his world. And in this fascinating story, God comes down and he kind of shakes him. And he says, Gideon, what are you doing? How did you become so ordinary? How is it that you forgot your destiny? How is it you forgot that the Spirit of God rests on this land and rests on these people? Wake up. I just want you to start acting as someone who believes that he can participate in extraordinary things. It's not just the power of uh, positivity or, or mental toughness. It's not name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. But because the spirit of God, the God of creation rests on you. That's why. It's not just that you tried hard. So we're going to jump in. Judges chapter 6 verse 1. And I'll turn to it for you on the screen. You can turn to it in your Bible if you'd like to. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of of the Midianites. The Midianites are um, kind of like long distant cousins, four times removed, that sort of idea from the Israelites. And they've had a number of uh, altercations over time. Throughout history, they, they go back and forth. This particular time in history, Midian has the upper hand. Verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So the people of Israel could not even live in their own cities. They, they 
pushed out of their villages and towns, and the Midianites had sort of taken over all their major cities. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land, and they ruined their crops all the way to Gaza, and they didn't spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So the Israelites have been worshiping the same gods as the Midianites. They've been doing it for several years. And for several years, the Midianites have swarmed over the land. They have swarmed over the people, and they're in charge of everything. We talked about this idea a couple of weeks back, but it just keeps coming up again. When you copy something, you are captured by it. You choose to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, and then you find out you're captured by it. So finally, after seven years of famine and just being impoverished by all these things that have happened, everything's been taken away from them, the nation does what probably we've all done. They're forced to call their dad for help. They, they call on God to, to take them out of bondage. Dad, I did what you told me not to do. Dad, everything that you told me would happen has now happened. Dad, I know that you were just trying to help me, but I'm in trouble now because of all the choices that I've made. Can you please come down to the police station and help me out? So it's like the whole nation of Israel is on, is on the phone with God. Yes, yes, we promise we will never do it again. Nothing like this ever again, right? Don't we, all of us? Yes, yes, we all promise the same thing. And that's what the nation of Israel did over and over and over again. Now, when, when the nation rebelled against God, and, and, and then the nation repents, and they come back to God, guess what God does? God turned back to the nation of Israel. That's what God does with all of us. Because our God is a God of mercy. He's a God of mercy, but he does not shield us from the consequences of our dumb decisions. Because in not shielding us from the consequences of our dumb decisions, we face full on what happens. The lesson hopefully learned now so that we do not repeat bad and dangerous behavior. But sadly, our normal response to God is more like, that's not fair. Why are you so mean? Why won't you just let me do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want? But in doing that, we unleash so much hurt and so much pain on ourselves and on all those around us. But if we learn to do those things again, if we, if we learn to put them behind us, then God can be free again, to come back and invade us and forgive us and, and, and restore us to him. And that's what God does again and again. Well, how many rounds do you get with God? How many times around this cycle do you get? As many rounds as you need because God's mercy never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, ever runs out. But he loves you too much to not let you face the consequences and then the growing cumulative consequences of your selfish choices. So Israel's had it. We're sorry. We repent. Come on, do something for us. And then that's how, that's why 
That's when we meet Gideon. So we jump down to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah. It belonged to Joash the Abyssalite. I wonder if you'll ever have a time in history where there'll be a tree that is marked as you own that tree. It's just kind of interesting, you know, this oak is owned by Joash. Anyways, um, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Threshing wheat is something that you are supposed to do in the open air. I know most of us don't thresh wheat all that much anymore, but the idea is you thresh it, you whack it hard, and it comes up. And then you, you shake it so that the wind blows by and takes off the chaff or the husks of the wheat kernels, and the wheat kernels drop back down. Uh, he was so afraid of the Midianites that all of Israel's hiding out. And they're, and they're skulking around, trying to stay out of sight. And Gideon is doing this in a wine press. And a wine press at this place is, means he's either kind of down in a hole, or he's in a cave, or he's in an enclosed kind of spot. It's, it's somewhere where you would never thresh wheat. He's in the wrong place. Because he's scared to death that the Midianites will actually see him threshing the wheat, and then they'll come for him. So this is how we start the story. And then verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon hears that, and he kind of looks over his shoulder, and he goes, who are you talking to? Hello, I'm hiding. Everyone knows you don't thresh wheat like this in a place like this. This is not a warrior stance, all right? This is a hiding, avoiding, nervous guy stance. The Lord is with you mighty warrior. And honestly, this is really one of my favorite places in the Bible. It speaks to us to who we really are, who we would argue about. Some of you have forgotten who you really are. You've forgotten the God of your childhood. You've forgotten those times that you have dedicated yourself to God. You've forgotten all about your answered prayers, and instead you just say, yes, but look what I don't have. You've forgotten how good God has been. You have been looking at everything around you and you have become like everyone around you. And what if an angel was to come to you and say, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior? You might snicker a little bit and say, um, really? Do you even know where I was last night? Have you been paying attention to the course of my life? Do you have any idea how long it's been since I've prayed? Do you know how long it's been since I've had any point of connection in a church? Do you know how long it's been since I've cracked open a Bible? Do you know how far I've drifted? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Then Gideon, who might very well have been an honorary Canadian, says this, pardon me, my Lord, that's why he's Canadian, very polite, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but the, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And you know this question. You have asked this question before. Maybe you frame it more um, like this. God, if you're good, why does bad stuff happen? God, if you're good, why do I still not have a job or a job in my field? God, if you're good, then why can't I have kids? God, if you're good, why can't I find a spouse? God, if you're good, why? Why, why, why? If you're good, then why the bad? 
And if you've ever asked that question or any version of that question, then hear that Gideon is asking this question 3,300 years before you. And that question appears in the very text of Scripture, ensured by God to be recorded so that you could read it, so that you would know that it's there, that he's never hidden from it. God is not offended by that question. And it's quite often the question that actually ends up leading us back into relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? And Gideon's thinking to himself, honestly, my whole life I've been hearing about this stuff. But I've always lived in a place seeing the complete lack of it. Apparently, a long time ago, God did something for my great-great-great-great-grandfather. Oh yeah, so apparently he took them out of Egypt. So apparently he brought us to this promised land. I know I've heard those stories. I wasn't alive for them. But if that's true then, why is he not delivering me right now? What about me? Why are all these Midianites running all over us? Why doesn't God do something for me that he did for my ancestors in Egypt? So he continues and he says, But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I'm no mighty warrior. God left us. None of this is working out. Things aren't what they are supposed to be. Things aren't what they used to be. There's no point in believing any of those silly fables anymore. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. <laughs> Time out here. Wait on a second. Did you hear anything I just said? I'm not a warrior, mighty or otherwise. God does not, has not done anything for us lately. There is nothing going on. And you want me to go and deliver this nation out of the hands of Midian. Seriously, how do you think that's going to happen? <laughs> Why are you even bothering you? And then he continues and he says, am I not sending you? And if this was the movie version of what was happening, this is where Gideon would drop his stuff, right? Emptied his hands. And he was kneeling, so now he stands up. And he gets tall. And his chest kind of swells a little bit. And he takes that quarter turn and he flicks his hair and lets the wind blow majestically through his hair. And he walks off the stage to go and make great things happen. That's what just happened in this moment right here. But it's not like that. This is a story about real people. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fable. It's not a script. Again, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. So you remember that the nation of Israel is divided up into 12 tribes. The one that you've never heard of before is, of course, Manasseh, right? It's there. And that's the name of Gideon's tribe. That's who he's part of. He says, I'm not from a famous tribe. I'm not from a famous part within that tribe. And I just happen to be the runt of the family. So if you want to try and think of it more in our language, it would be more like this. I just went to community college and I actually never finished any program there. I don't have enough money. Uh, I'm barely middle class. I don't know anybody. Uh, no one is ever going to want me to be in charge of anything, uh, even the coffee bar. 
I've never been on stage. I don't do that. I'm not an upfront person. I don't have any promise. I don't have a girlfriend. I have not found myself. I have four friends on Facebook, and they're all related to me. Why don't you quit bugging me? I'm hiding here. Stop coming up to me and making fun of me, calling me a mighty warrior. Yeah, you're real funny. And then the Lord answers. Oh, then, never mind. I must be at the wrong house. My bad. You didn't tell God something he doesn't know, right? He knows what he is. He knows what he's doing. And that's why it makes this next part so important. This is where we could stop and we just say for a moment, oh, dear God, if you could do a miracle for just 30 seconds, just this tiny little bit where we could see ourselves the way that you see us, how different our lives would be. He says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. I am not. You are. I am not. You are. I am not. So who are you going to believe? There's an argument. Sure. Who do you believe? Are you going to stick with your estimation of you or God's estimation of you? You view you based on what everybody around you told you about you. What if they're wrong? What if they're far too short-sighted? What if you've been around the wrong people? What if you've been around normal, average people for so long that you've begun to believe that that's all you'll ever be, all you were ever called to be? But what if God sees you, knows you differently, What if you spent your whole life just going and doing and moving no differently than everybody else? Dating the way they date. Spending money the way they spend money. Dreaming just as little as everybody else. God, if you could just show us for 30 seconds. 30 seconds today, God, for my friends here, that you could show them who you see them to be. The way you see us. Help us to imagine the power that's in the partnership that we are in. If you could do that, it will change everything. And whenever we hear someone's story about life change or or something that's going on and part of their change over a period of time, what they describe is this moment, it seems, when their eyes just seem to come open and they see like they haven't seen before. And there's a new understanding and they say, Oh, oh, you know my name. You love me. The creator God loves me personally. And it's not just that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world like a category. He died for me. And I was then and I am now on his mind. You think to yourself, you are interested in me. You have a plan that's for me. And that plan makes me fully me. You care about my relationships. You you care about how I spend my money. You care what I do with my spare time and my expressions of intimacy. 
the way I do my job, the way I drive my car, the way I entertain myself, my hopes and my dreams. You're interested in it all and you have a plan for all that stuff for me. And in that, there is an opportunity for you to be extraordinary. Not at something, but to be an extraordinary version of me when I am rightly connected to you. And in the end, the Bible teaches us that we will see ourselves as we really are. We will see ourselves as God sees us. St. Augustine, he theorized that there's no sin in heaven. And it's not that we can't sin. It's that we will see so clearly that we will simply regularly choose not to sin. That's how powerful that revelation from God can be. And this is the moment that Gideon is having, having with the angel of the Lord right now. And it doesn't flesh it out for us. It just goes by rather quickly. Do you remember that prayer? God, help me to see as you see so that I can do as you say. Well, this is the moment of clarity for Gideon right now. Jump down to verse 16. The Lord answered in his question, how will all this happen? The Lord answered, I will be with you. He speaks of relationship. And he speaks of partnership. And that has never changed. That has always been God's plan. The question, and this is an important one, so listen to this part. If you forget everything else, get this part. The question is not whether or not I will be with you. The question is, will you be with me? Because I'm with you. I'm already all in on you. I never left. I've been here through this horrible section of history where you and your people have walked and turned your backs on me. And you've damaged yourself with self-inflicted pain. That's why this series is so important. So that you get to this realization. You will always have the freedom to do what you want, when you want, with whomever you want. And you can live the rest of your life with doing what is right in your own eyes. What is right in your own eyes. You can have that freedom. And then you will be just like everybody else. But in doing that, you will miss the opportunity to be the extraordinary you that God created, planned for you to be. This is a defining moment in Gideon's life. This is a chance for him to see interruption as opportunity. Gideon, I'm not going to give you a massive extraordinary gift like super strength. That's for Samson, not for you. Gideon, I'm going to give, I'm not going to give you that, uh, the inside super secret plan on how to um, defeat the Midianites in a play-by-play -play format. You're not going to get a written document that says this is all you have to do. Gideon, I'm just asking you to believe when I tell you that God is with you. And that's why Gideon is so relatable. Nothing special is in Gideon. Nothing special in that moment. Just believe that God is with you. Gideon, if you could just live simply like a man that is confident that God is with you. That's all I'm asking. And my friends, that's, that's, that's all God is asking of you. He's asking you to believe that God himself is with you. He wants to work in partnership with you and to cause your faith to grow so that you can make every single decision believing that God is with you 
in you and for you. And this has incredible relevance to this story. This story that we're talking about, Gideon, has incredible relevance to us because 1,300 years after this story of Gideon, another godly man wrote to the Christians who lived in Rome. Rome, the belly of the beast. Rome, the place that wasn't safe for Christians because of a man, an emperor, a Caesar named Nero. This is the guy who brought about the death of Peter and Paul. And he hated Christians. The Roman authorities hated Christians because they saw them worship Jesus instead of the emperor, instead of the Caesar. So, it, so to a group of persecuted Christians whose lives were on the line, whose property was regularly being taken, living in Rome, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He wrote this to them. He wrote this to all the churches of that time. And he, write, he wrote it and God preserved it so that it's a message for all of us. Romans 8.31, he says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And us is those who have decided to follow Jesus. This is the same statement that the Lord was making to Gideon. I know you don't think of yourself as a warrior. I know your resume. I know that things aren't going well for you. I know that you were afraid and that you were hiding. I know that the last thing you were thinking is, mighty warrior, but I see you. But I know you differently. I just want you to step into the way that I see you and step out of the way that you've been viewing yourself for all these years because God is with you, God is in you, and God is for you. And 1,300 years later, the Apostle Paul says to all of us, to all of you who have trusted in Jesus, that God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you, God is with you, and God is for you. So why wouldn't you wake up every day and ask the question, what does an extraordinary person, an extraordinary version of me do when they know that they have this kind of relationship to this kind of a God. God, help me to see as you see so that I can do as you say. So even in writing this, it seems like Paul sort of gets the idea, oh, they're not going to believe that. <laughs> they're not just going to pick up on that and say, oh yeah, I guess God's for me. And they're gonna, it's the same problem with Gideon. And they're going to say, how do I know that God is for me when I live in Rome? It's hard here. Nero's lighting us up. He's burning us. He's feeding us to wild animals. He's taking our property. He's putting us in prison. Things look bad all over. How do we know that God is for us? It doesn't feel that way right now. And that's the way that many of you might be feeling today. How do we know that God is for us? How can you say that he's for us? Those big miracle things, well, they stopped in Egypt, didn't they? That's what Gideon thought. How do we know? How can you know? Romans 8, 31 and 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Do you, do you know, see you can live every day Wake up in the morning and know that God is for you. And it won't be because you looked at the Midianites. And it won't be because you looked at the Romans. It's not going to be because you looked at your job. 
It's not going to be because you looked at the surrounding culture around you. You can wake up every day with confidence that God knows your name and that God loves you and he is with you and he's for you and he's in you because 2,000 years ago, he allowed his son to pay the price for your sin. That's how valuable you are to God. And I'm no economist, but I understand this is part of Economics 101, my version of it. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. You want to know how valuable something is? Put it on eBay. You want to know how valuable something is? Price it. Then keep dropping the price until somebody buys it. So here's what the Apostle Paul was trying to say to all of us. You are so valuable to God as a person, as an individual, because the image of God is on you. The Spirit of God is in you. You are so valuable to God that he equated you with the price of his son. Now wake up every day and live to that kind of value. And God says, this is how I see you. Mighty warrior, I am for you. I am in you and I am with you. Now, what are you going to do? As the story of Gideon progresses, he's scared to death. Read the details. It's in Judges chapter 6. Read through the whole story. It's a great story. But Gideon goes out to deliver his people from Midian. And the way he starts, so one night he, seek, he sneaks out and he destroys an idol and then he sneaks back home. That's his first step. He didn't go out to defeat Midian. He took a step. What would someone do who knows God's with him and he looks around and he sees that his tribe is worshiping all the wrong gods? So he took a step. And then things heat up. And it's, it's, again, it's a fantastic story about a man who's scared to death, but who just stepped into what God had for him. Because he decided to believe that God is with me. The amazing thing is, if you want to rack, pull this out into this, this time, this is where we are living right now. We are in a place where we are experiencing God's favor in a way. And I don't want you to think that it's something happening around you. It's something that's happening right with you in the middle. And you have the opportunity to absorb and to take that and to say, this is where I am right now. I'm part of this movement of God. I'm part of a movement that other people watch and say, how do good things keep happening to you guys at Into One? How come good things keep happening to you? And we get to say, because we serve the true and living God. Corporately, but together, and as individuals, you get to be able to step forward. You're in a place where God is at work. Stephen Furtick says, it's dangerous to think more highly of yourself than you ought. It's equally as dangerous to think less of yourself than God does. This is not a message to be good. This is not a message about positive thinking. This is a message challenging you to be extraordinary. To believe that God will work in and through you. This isn't about staying out of trouble. This is not about rules and laws and don't, 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 don't. This is a message about reaching your full God potential. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you, in you, and for you? Well, that's the life that you've been invited to. That's the life that Samson and Gideon were invited to. Samson experienced it physically with great strength and he took all that he had and he threw it away. 
because he just couldn't keep his eyes off the world around him. Gideon stepped into it with no extraordinary ability. And God used him to do extraordinary things for the entire nation of Israel. God, please open our eyes, even for just a moment, to see ourselves the way you see us. We've been lied to for so long. God, help me to see as you see so that I can do as you say. Kind Father, I pray that, that you would hear this prayer, that for my friends here today, that you would speak to them, you would encourage them, you would build them up, but more you would just love them enough to say, this is the way I look at you. We've been told for so long that we're inadequate in one way or another. I'm too this and I'm too that. I'm not enough of this. I really wish I could be more like. We don't see ourselves the way that you have seen us, the way that you have created us. And God, I pray that you would bring freedom to us in this place to leave the lies and the bondage behind, those misconceptions, those misapplied truths, to say that we can understand the way God sees us. You love us so deeply, so much, and you have invested so much in us, and you are waiting You're waiting for us simply to turn to you and trust and risk that you will show up. And in that, we could become extraordinary people. Not because we're great, but because you are great and you are working through us. Help us to imagine the difference in our families. Imagine the difference in our our city of Stouffville. Help us to imagine the difference that we could make even in Ontario, Canada, around the world. We can do extraordinary things because our God is in us, with us, and for us. Take us forward, we pray in Jesus' name, that the world would be better because of how you have spoken to us today. So speak to us and then speak through us. We long for the chance to tell the truth about you. Help us to do that well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That light is what we need you to see. That light is the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ. And then you will understand who you are, who you are called to be, and you will be set free. Please, pursue him. Ask him again. Let me see. Let me see who you see me to be. And then be free. To do that, I want to bless you. Bless you to go and understand that God is already blessing you. That he loves you so deeply. That he's opened up doorways for you this week. Keep your eyes open. Watch where he is working. Go now and be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Ah, Thanks for being with us today. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. It's better to be in this environment where God is at work, and it's better to be here with you. So thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of this. As I send you out today, I want to remind you again that we are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And as we do that, we are on mission everywhere, everywhere, all the time. It is not an indoor building thing. You are the church. Take it with you where you go.